appreciate you so much for that. It's always so good to be at Shannon Oaks Church, and God bless you so much. And uh, anytime I can come back here, I just always want to uh, because there's something really special about this place. If you're one of those new families that has joined Shannon Oaks, uh, you have a whole new beginning that's going to really bless you, and I promise you that. It's a wonderful place to be. Uh, we have wonderful memories here. It's not even the same place. It's just gotten better and better and better, and it was the best when we were here, and it's just continued to get better and better and better. So uh, thank you so much for um, being who you are in this, in this place. Uh, I have had an opportunity the last few months to uh, work uh, with your staff and your elders mainly on your voice. And I'm not preaching on that today, but I do want to speak to it just briefly. Uh, on your voice, what the Lord is telling you as a church and what the Lord um, has led you to say to your staff and to your elders about your beliefs, about your convictions, about your vision for the work of God in this place and so there's a lot going on behind the scenes that is really important. So I hope that every day you'll keep praying about that. Even if you're not seeing, now on, on my notes, I made this, and every week I'm looking for that, and that hasn't happened. That's not the way it works. But I tell you the way it does work is what this church said as a voice is meaning something to this staff, and it's meaning something to the elders. In fact, right now, I want to tell you, and I want you to be praying about this, your elders and staff and I are in a Bible study just on what it means to be a church leader. And we're opening the Bible, and we're saying, what does it mean to even lead the flock? I mean, we've asked their input on some things, and we've asked their thoughts, but what does it mean to be their leader? So we're putting that cart and horse in the right place. And we're studying the word. We're not studying the word about eldership in terms of planning. We're not studying eldership and leadership in terms of any strategies, any implementations. You know what we're doing right now? We're studying the word of God and letting the Holy Spirit say to us, what does it mean to be an elder? Amen? So will you pray for your elders uh, this week uh, when you think about it? Would you just do that? And uh, uh, let their hearts continue. I don't know when I've ever seen such a humble uh, and willing staff and eldership to, to look at their lives and look at their work. <clears throat> so she went to the Antiques Roadshow. And she brought her item to the table. And the person who was the expert was going over that item, and giving her a lot of information about the item, and giving her a lot of details about the item, and the type of paint is on the item, and the type of background, what it's made of, and when it was uh, created, and what it was used for, and, and all of these facts, and all of this info, and all stuff that the expert himself was enjoying bringing out. But as she sat there, what is she thinking? You know what she's thinking. She's wanting all of those facts and all of that information to really come together and mean something really important for her. 
So he says to her, I'll be right back. And he leaves. And in a few moments, he comes back and he says, ma'am, how much did you pay for this? I don't know. Just, it was minimal. And he said, ma'am, there's not enough money in the Western world to pay for this. It's priceless. So now, all of the facts and all of the information, now it has meaning. And so anytime someone stands in front of you with the word of God, we're not just here to exegete and pull out text and give you words and give you facts or give you information. I want you to feel it. And I want you to leave today saying, you know, I knew that about the Christ, but when I left today, I felt it. That's my prayer for you today. Let me give you a staggering statistic. 120 million people every single Sunday across America go to church somewhere. Let me put that in perspective. That is more in one single Sunday than all of the sporting events all year combined across the nation. That's shocking to me. Amen. We can say what we want about our church is not growing. If churches are dying, it is definitely not because the need is not there or because people aren't seeking that's the 120 million who actually take a step to fill the need that they have inside. Think of the millions who aren't taking the step to fill the need that they feel inside. The harvest is not just plentiful among those who are stepping out to find answers. The harvest is plentiful for those, for whatever reason, aren't stepping out to find their answers. So I want to say some things today about the family of God. And this the family of God, this phrase can have a lot of work. And we don't have time to give it all of its work. But I want to say some things about the family of God today in the bigger sense, of course. But also, as Jonathan said, in that big sense out there in the kingdom of God, the family of God, but also certainly about the members of this family who gather in this place week after week after week in places like it. I don't know if you're a part of this family because I don't know you. I don't know if you are a visitor. I don't know if you're a believer. But here's what I'm going to ask you. Would you today, would you do this for me today? Would you just sit in this place? If you've come in and you're seeking, would you just sit in this place today and just let this family be around you? Just let them be around you. You know, and, and let them, watch them sing. And watch them pray. And watch them greet one another. And when they come to you to speak, just let them speak. And if they reach out to touch you, just let them touch you. 
Because what they're bringing to you is something that families bring to each other. And I don't want you to think today that you're someone who can't deserve what families give each other because I want you to hear me say that all of us are undeserving of what families give each other. And so just let them do that for you today. I want to say four things pretty quickly about it being in the family. Those in the family are saved, sealed, and secure. I'm not going to dwell on this point because we know that. And I think we know it now better than we knew it a few years ago. We're getting better at knowing that. So I don't want to dwell there for too long. But let me say something about the family of God being a saved and sealed and secure group. And so if you're visiting today or you're seeking, you're going, how? How might I feel really saved and really secure and, and, and really sealed? Well, let me back up by saying that I do believe that people really are lost. I think it's, it's biblical. And lost is a Jesus word. Lost in Matthew 10 was very clear from Jesus' mouth when he sent his disciples out and he told them to go to what kind of sheep? Lost ones. Lost is a biblical word. And it's a Jesus word. He made it very clear that standing with Christ was eternal salvation, and life would be found in Christ. And there's another word, lost, that's the same word as lost, but it's translated two different ways, and that is the word perish. So John 3.16 made it clear that those who believe in him will have everlasting life. They won't perish. That means they won't be lost. So I want to make it very clear That being lost is a reality, but lost is a love word because what is important to us that we lose, we go seek until we find it. And Jesus was great at finding. Really good at finding. You can't read Luke 15 without knowing that Jesus is really good at finding. So my point here is that you've been found in this place today. You've been found by Jesus. And Jesus says in John 10, 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my... Say it, church. Out of his hand. So those who are seeking are looking at this family, and I'm saying that this family is not saved and sealed and secure because of anything they've done. I'm saying they're saved and they're sealed and they're secure because they're in the hand of the master. That's why they're saved. So your relationship with God is the one thing that really needs to bring into your heart some strength and some assurance. And maybe this is and maybe it isn't something that you find difficult. Those who find it difficult live this life trying to accept perhaps something that they think is too good to be true. 
But that's why it's a miracle. And that's why he's God. Perhaps you struggle with feeling safe and secure because you've never been told that you were worthy. So how could you be safe and secure? Maybe you're saying to yourself, you don't know what things I've done that have been despicable to the Holy Spirit and have grieved him immensely. Maybe you're one saying, you don't know the things in my life that I have not yet conquered. So you feel vile sitting in worship with what's going on in your life. Uh, Compare me, Todd, to those who really walk and talk the talk. Now do you see why I can't feel secure in my hope? Romans 8 and 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I want to tell you what the Greek word for no condemnation, what the Greek word for no means. It means no. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So if you're a family member, you're not getting rid of your own sin and death. It's been gotten rid of for you. And if you're visiting today, you're looking at a family who did not do it for themselves. They're happy to be in this family because our Jesus did it for us. And we're safe and secure. Let me remind us of something. We don't give ourselves this life free from law of sin and death. It doesn't come from anywhere inside of you. If you're trying to reach way down deep and find something inside of you that is good enough to pay for all the sin, forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Stop trying to do it because it's not there. And besides that, it has already been done. So stop trying to reach down in there and fix that. There are other ways to sanctify your life through Christ without trying to save yourself. That's not your business. That's his business. We'll get, we'll get you sanctified in Jesus. And you'll look better next week than you look this week. And 10 years from now, you'll have less of a sin problem. And all the while on the journey, you're saved and secure and sealed in Christ. Confession and repentance, yes. But guilt and shame, no. To express our unworthiness is right and good. But following that with thanksgiving and praise for what he has done with our unworthiness frees us of our worry. It frees us of our fret. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's that family because Dwight on this side of the auditorium is walking in the light and he didn't save himself. Jesus saved him and all the way across we're walking in the light and all of our sins are continually being cleansed. They're not cleansed for 10 times. They're not cleansed the first five years you're in the family. They're not cleansed depending on how big the sin is. Starting with Dwight and going across the auditorium for all of us in the family who are walking in the light, we stay clean. That's a hallelujah right there. Because this week, somebody's going to do something they know they shouldn't have done. If they're walking in the light, it's already taken care of. I didn't preach this 20 years ago. 
and hallelujah, I preach it now. Because that's the gospel. And because I'm clean, and because you're clean, we have fellowship in this scandalous miracle at Calvary together. And that's why you're my brother, and that's why you're my sister. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Look at the next word. Guaranteeing. Somebody say guaranteeing what is to come. So my brothers and sisters, can we please fellowship in what we have in common? Can we rejoice together in what he has done for us in this place on March the 1st, 2020? He sealed it. He guaranteed it. Amen. Number two. About the family. Those in the family sometimes suffer. This miracle of salvation, it doesn't remove suffering. I would lie to you today if I would say to you that you will not suffer in Jesus' name. In fact, sometimes because I'm walking in the light, I suffer. I'm I'm candid with you about that. The faithful for ages old have not had it as well as we have it. Because there's a type of suffering that perhaps we're not experiencing as of March the 1st, 2020. Now, there may come a time when we experience it. But for ages old, some of God's people have not had the freedom and the privilege to sing and to praise and to worship his name without suffering. So thank God we can still not suffer in that way. Amen? Don't take that for granted. Thank God for that every day. Because it may be coming. He doesn't promise otherwise. Christ said, some of you must turn against father and mother for my name. It's happening to converts all over the world. We have some converts in our church that have come from the Muslim faith, and they have had to give up all relationships with everyone they ever loved and ever knew in order to walk with Christ. And so now they have Christ's family. But that's suffering. When you walk away from the people that love you for the sake of God who loves you, you believe more than they love you, it still hurts. It's suffering. So suffering does happen to those in God's family all over the globe. It's very offensive and it's very shallow when we have some sort of phony theology that says... When you follow Christ, life is some sort of bowl of cherries. Well, God isn't magic. And we don't belittle the Trinity and their deity and their eternal existence by making them into some sort of a clown. Nothing more is unbiblical. What I will say is that life in Christ is the most marvelous life no matter what suffering. 
Now, here's what I'll say about that. I'm lying when I say to you that the family of God doesn't suffer because it does. But I would rather suffer cancer in Christ. Let me keep going. You know where I'm going. I would rather suffer a divorce, God forbid, in Christ. And being in Christ makes the most marvelous life because outside of Christ, I suffer that pain without my Christ. So, his loving arms and the loving arms of his people, the loving arms of the family, help that pain when we suffer. And the whole thing about this suffering is a sin and death issue. You understand that. You know that. It's a sin and death issue. So uh, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that one suffers because he committed a sin. I don't say that one is being punished for a sin when he suffers. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying, and what you know that I'm saying, is that sin is what took mankind from the tree of life where there was no suffering. And so in Genesis, Adam and Eve had that opportunity to, to do that thing right. They had the opportunity to eat of that tree of life and never suffer and never have pain, but that wasn't sustained. And so since that time, because we no longer are imperfect, I mean, because we are no longer perfect and we are imperfect, that tree of life is now found in Christ even while we suffer. Good people, I, our suffering is actually part of our fellowship. Something, something brought on by myself, maybe I've caused myself some suffering. Suff, something brought on by someone else in my life. Gave me some suffering, perhaps. Maybe it's just life that's given me suffering. But whatever the case, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. And what else does it say? Somebody say it. And weep. Finish it for me. Y'all are going to have to wake up. Now I'll preach 30 more minutes if you doze off again. Sometimes our family suffers, and so we have to cry together, and we have to love on one another, and we have to gather around that suffering. If you've just joined Shannon Oaks, you'll never find a place that will suffer with you more than this place. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, the Bible says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Satan stands on having the last word in our suffering, but he does not. And so before we leave this point, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. 
that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So in his plan with the Trinity, oh, that's a, such a concept. That, that's another sermon for another 12 weeks. But somewhere with the Trinity, wherever they were and whatever the context The Father and God and the Holy Spirit said to one another, just as they said, let us make man in our own image, they said something about a plan of redemption that would bring us through our suffering. Thirdly, those in the family serve in the mission. What mission? If we just think about Christ as one who did work, then we'll lose sight of how he is doing his work right now. And that is through and in the lives of people through his Holy Spirit. The hope of the world is a missional church, and the hope of the church is a sacrificial people. Now, I'm going to say that again. I'm... I'm, I'm going to think for a moment you did not doze off. The hope of the world is a missional church, but the hope of a church is sacrificial people. Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. You didn't miss any of that, I hope, in that text. It was God's intent from the beginning that through measly me and through a small body of people in Sulphur Springs, Texas, through redeemed sinners called the church the wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. Now, you know what the word manifold means there? It means like you have a diamond and how it sparkles and it shows its glory in a lot of different forms and a lot of different lights. That's what that word means. So the church is designed to share this glory of God and it glistens to this group of people over here because it's speaking this way and it's meeting this need and it's in this culture. And over here, it's the manifold wisdom of God from across the other side of the world because it glistens differently to different people all over the world. And he's talking about you and me making that happen through him. Right now, we are to be serving in such a way that we are gathering people and opportunities for his glory in anticipation of the day when the great gathering really happens. So pray much and pray big. 48 times found in the book of Acts. Pray, 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 pray. You want me to go 48 more? 48 times in the book of Acts Pray, pray, pray. And 39 times in the book of Acts is witness, witness, witness. The church is needed to accomplish God's love on this earth. That's what we're here for. Does God ever need anything? I'm asking you that. I disagree. I I, I know he needed a house to go to. 
because a woman was going to come and anoint his feet. So he needed a party that night to go to so he could meet her. And he wanted to ride through town and he needed a donkey. And you know what he needs in order to get his love to the person outside this place today that's thinking maybe they want to join the 120 million next Sunday and see what this is all about? He needs somebody real simple like me. That's what he needs. So does the church have a mission? Well, that's the wrong question. Does the church have a mission is the wrong question. And we're asking it, but it's not really the right question. The right question is, does God's mission have a church? Because he's going to get it done through somebody. So we're wondering, does God's mission have a, does God's mission have a church here? Well, I believe he does. Amen? You're part of it. And he does need you. He needs your hands. And he needs your feet. And he needs your voice. And he needs your prayers. And he needs your seeking. And he needs you listening to his spirit. That's what he needs. And we forget sometimes enjoying being on the inside what it is out there on the outside. And you made it very clear in the co-authoring sessions that you wanted to be more equipped to speak and teach in the name of Christ. And I commend you for the realization that uh, you're called to do this because you are called to do this. And I'm so encouraged by your lack of satisfaction to lie down and wallow in your own salvation, but rather having a desire to take up your swords and your shields and to train and to fight against Satan for a world he still rules. There's so many ways to serve. And the family serves. 1 Peter 4.10 Each of you should use whatever, whatever gift you have to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. In its various forms. There's that various again. Because I can touch somebody you can't touch. And you can speak to somebody in a way I can't speak to. So I would ask you what your gift is. Serving God is not about going off to seminary or missionary training. Why has the church left it to preachers? It's for his people. Some of you are great students of the word. And how uh, you, you have learned as much as you've learned and have taught me, I, I, I'm eternally indebted. So keep doing that and teach others to do that. Be a mentor to someone who wants to learn how to rightly divide the word and know enough to be effective in that discussion, that teaching role. Some of your prayer warriors, for goodness sake. A strong prayer ministry in a church is critical. Now, we're all to pray, and we do, but there is something really, really special that carries a lot of influence and a lot of ministry and comfort to have someone pray with you, for you, and over you who is truly gifted to that ministry. Now, I want to tell you a personal story. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I had a group of people come and pray over me. And I believe when the Bible says, call your elders, have them anoint you with oil, I take it at its word. 
And so I did. I had elders come and prayed, and they anointed me with oil and prayed over me. And I had lots of brothers and sisters whom I have grown to love over the years, and they prayed over me. I'll tell you what, I could have prayed for myself, and I could have had a few people pray for me. But you know what? I wanted people there who really studied that concept of prayer and practiced that concept of prayer, that spiritual discipline of prayer, who were better at it than me. And I wanted their voices and their hands and their hearts with me when I was suffering because that's ministry that's ministry what else is serving some of you serve with your time sick and tired of this world that has no time amen we need to make time for each other some of you serve with your money Others of us have none. Thank you for those of you that do. Some of you have the hospitality gift. You ever think of that as a gift of serving? We brought two guests with us today. Clint and Jamie McDowell are here. They're our friends. Clint's gift is prayer. When I'm sick, I want Clint right here. When I'm dying, I want Clint right here. You know what his wife's gift is? The gift of hospitality. The home is open. The hearts are open. I'm inviting you all to their house. (laughs) We co-authored some parenting material together. And the gifts just naturally come out when all four people are letting the Lord speak. So in our parenting classes, what is Clint doing? He's praying. He's reading those spiritual signs. And what's Jamie doing? She's hopping from table to table, meeting every person, seeing what they need, seeing what she can do, seeing how she can serve, seeing how she can be a gift. There's so many ways to serve that are so refreshing and so simple. And when millions upon millions of God's people are doing this, millions upon millions will be saved. It's that simple. Some of you have the marvelous gift of mercy and compassion. And you're able, like Jesus was able, to take that woman that was dragged to him by the head of the hair and thrown into a circle in the middle of all of these religious people. Thrown into the circle. And the spotlight was on her. And the master turned that around in John 8. And then it was all of a sudden those religious people in the circle with the spotlight on them. And then at the end of the story, guess who's in the circle? The woman in Jesus. And he's having mercy. And he says, now they didn't condemn you. I gave them an out and they took it. And they're gone. And neither do I condemn you. Now, go, you go away. Go back to your life and don't do that anymore. 
And so she's going to come back in five years, and he's going to say, how are you doing? As if he doesn't know. Oh, Lord, I, I just need your mercy because I, I did it again. And he's going to say, I, I don't condemn you. Now, don't do it anymore. Just don't do it anymore. And I'm so thankful for people who have said to me, I don't condemn you, but don't do it anymore. And then the next time I did it, they said, I still don't condemn you. Now don't do it anymore because you know what? Two don't do it anymore. Make me not want to do it anymore. Instead of the condemnation. Because that's what the devil would put on me. So thank you for those of you with the gift of mercy and compassion. So what you do, do it well. Stop worrying about what you're not good at and just do what you're good at. Do what's in your heart. What happens when you serve in Jesus' name? Will you remember something for me? I'm going to ask you to remember something for me. When you read the New Testament this week and you see Jesus. Charlotte, where would you get that chair? That's the best chair in the house. I just looked down and saw a chair and a blanket, and I'm like, man, this is family. (laughs) Only the best for Charlotte. That's right. And I bet when you're sick, I know who you want by your bed. Amen. I don't remember where I was. I want you to remember something. Thank you, Jonathan. When you read the Bible this week, when you read the New Testament, and we're, you're doing awfully well. We're about to wrap up. I told Eric not to preach over 30 minutes, and I'm a big hypocrite. <laughs> if you read your New Testaments this week, I want you to notice where Jesus is working, okay? So anywhere you see Jesus working and serving, Maybe he's casting out a demon in your reading. Maybe he's blessing a lonely person. Maybe he's healing a sick person. Maybe he's enjoying a wedding. Uh, Maybe he's raising someone from the dead. Maybe he's passing out some fish and bread. When you read this week, everywhere you see Jesus, I want you to know something. And I want you to think about this. Wherever Jesus is working, two worlds are colliding. Where Jesus is working, the devil is very, very threatened. Because he has the crowd for a different purpose. And here comes the master teacher... And now there's more fish to go around and more bread to go around than people know what to do with. And the two worlds have collided. And where there is the name of Jesus, the demons flee. So when Jesus is getting his feet washed, it's a threat to Satan. He wanted her to stay evil. And when he's feeding the 5,000... He's not just feeding their bellies, and Satan knows that. And he's very upset. And the two worlds are colliding. And when he's bringing Lazarus out of the tomb, 
Satan for one moment thought, it's over for me. It is, he just doesn't know it yet. Everywhere you are in Jesus' name this week, two worlds are colliding for somebody and for God's sake. I want you to skip on through the slides and go to those in the family, share their stories. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. We know the family is saved and secure. We, we know that they suffer. We know that they serve. And they share their stories. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us. Here we are, this family the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You're an ambassador. Make you feel important? You're an ambassador for the king. As though God were making his appeal through you. Amen. Amen. It's important. So what is your story? I want to share with you one person's story right now. And I just want you to watch this. It's about a lady named Sarah Schechter. And you may have seen this on the news. Sarah Schechter is a member of our church. Her brother is one of our elders. And she has a way she has served that's very out of the box and very out of the ordinary. It's no more important than anything that anyone else would do in their service. But this is kind of part of her story. Would you watch, please? Well, I'm one of those people that's not into Star Wars. But I saw the movie about Mr. Rogers over the holiday. Some lessons aren't taught. That was good. You should watch it. Did you ever like Mr. Rogers when you were little? They're modeled. That's a big part of what we do here. Regardless of how smart you are or ambitious you are, if you're not a good person, it's not going to go anywhere positive. Be generous, be kind, be brave, all of those things. Sarah Schechter is the head of lower school at the Oak Ridge School <laughs> in Arlington, Texas. My 144 kids are what I get up every day. And she will soon prove she is everything she preaches. I feel good about it, like I know it's the right thing to do, but am I still scared? Yes. This was six days before a major surgery. That is very nice, very well done. A surgery doctors didn't order, but her heart did. And you think of a thousand reasons why you shouldn't do it. <laughs> For me, I just couldn't, it couldn't be avoided. Where I go to church, it seemed like the sermon was about giving a kidney. Of course it wasn't, but that's what it felt like. Sarah is donating a kidney, so an example of the character she wants every kid on campus to emulate. And something for three of her students to celebrate. We're not really related, so it's great that you're not part of my family and you're still doing it. William is in third grade. Okay. Okay. Sydney fourth. All right, see you later. Miss Lewis came in and she was telling me that. I was like, what? And Aaron is in eighth. Dr. Six is giving kidney to my dad. They never really talked to classmates <laughs> about their dad 
being sick. Dr. Sexy is actually donating her kidney to my dad. But now that he's getting help. Dr. Sexy is donating her kidney to my dad. William can't stop talking about it. So easy, taking pictures. And to think that they could lose their dad when they're just kids in school just is so sad that I just, that's my main thing. I just want them to have their dad. Thank you. Mm, you're welcome. I'm glad I could do it for you. Here's Dad. There she is. Seeing donor. Hey. How are you feeling? Fantastic. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. 24 hours after the transplant at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Oh, my gosh. I never thought this day would come. <laughs> I'm so glad it worked out. How do I pay her back? I can't. I can't pay her back. I just... You know what I mean? It just, it goes, it runs through my mind all the time. What can you do to thank her for this? What can you do? Words aren't enough. Just one week post-surgery. You know, do I cut the grass every day? Do I paint her house? <laughs> I mean, what, what do I do? Nate Jones could laugh about the gift of life. I, I feel fantastic. Freedom is the best word to use. Um, for the past 18 months, I've been tied to some type of machine to stay alive. Nobody knew, you didn't know what I was going through. Undiagnosed high blood pressure caused his acute, sudden renal failure. Hey, Daddy. Hey, sweetheart. These two didn't know each other well. Despite different ages, genders, and races, oh. they were a perfect match. No one was surprised that she would do something like this. And that just shows you the type of person that she is. When I say prayers, I'm just rubbing that kidney. <laughs> Nate Jones never asked anyone to give him a kidney. It was meant to be. Meant to be. Mm-hmm. But at Oak Ridge, they teach... All right. You don't need to be asked... Have a good one. ...to answer. See y'all. Have a good evening. Are we going to see you tomorrow? In Arlington. You're going to keep coming back? Yeah. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm Teresa Woodard. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's Sarah's story. Our stories don't have to be that big. But that might be someday the kinds of things that God leads us to do. And let me tell you what happens... If she gave her kidney to a, fam a, a family that's in the family, she served the family. If she gave her kidney to a family that wasn't in the family, they'll be with us in heaven. It's never a waste of time to tell your story. Two little boys were best friends at our church. And they were on their video game Fortnite, and they're playing and playing. And one of the little boys said, well, I got to get off because I got to get ready to go to church. And he said, where do you go to church? And he said, I go to the hills. And he said, why don't you come with me sometime? And so the little boy said, okay, I'll ask my mom. So the little boy asked his mom. And a couple weeks later, she said, well, yeah, I've done all the research. I've gotten on their website. I've talked to some people that go there. And we're not church people, but I feel comfortable with you going uh, to the hills with them if you want. So the little boy started going to the hills and six people came to Jesus over two little boys playing video games. Just tell your story. So that new neighbor, the sick person that you know, the person who needs your encouragement, someone who needs you to volunteer and assist in their need, the server at your table in the restaurant, showing forgiveness to one who's hurt you, Loving and respecting someone who votes differently than you. A simple invitation to someone to church. 
Maybe your story of infertility will help someone depressed because they can't have babies. Maybe you're a cancer survivor and you can encourage someone experiencing those fears. Maybe you're an addict and you can support someone racked with that demon. Preaching to people is not the only and not the most effective way to serve in God's mission. Living among one another and the lost and just sharing your story. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Ask the praise team to come on up, please. We're going to do an altar call. If you're someone already in the family that says, oh man, I I have been coasting with my hands in my pockets and I am invigorated because of the word of God today and I want to tell my family that I am. That's encouraging. I would invite you to come down here and join our hands. We'll celebrate together. 120 million people every Sunday know that there is more and they are looking for that, or they already know what it is and are living it out. I think that most of you here today are here to live it out, and you seek and you serve. But some of you, however, among that 120 million are actually looking for answers. You're trying to find peace. You're trying to find forgiveness. You're trying to find hope. You're trying to find answers. You're trying to find a remedy for the guilt and the shame. You're trying to learn how to father better. You're trying to figure out what happened to the marriage. You're trying to figure out what to do with that medical diagnosis. I can promise you something this morning. If you will allow us into your heart for a few moments, we will not judge you We will not hurt you because you are the same as us. Would you just let us share our story of Jesus and join our family as we stand and worship together?